Welcome to Inspire Church's podcast. We're excited you're listening. Our hope is to inspire you to grow in God's Word, to grow more in love with Christ, and to go be a light wherever you are. To find more teachings or donate to the ministry, visit us at inspirechurches.com. If you've been here the last couple of weeks, uh, you'll, you'll know. If you haven't, I'll just quickly update you. Uh, about three weeks ago, we started a new sermon series called By Faith Alone, and it's really been us traveling on Sunday mornings through the entire book of Romans. That's about 16 chapters, and if you know how long I preach, um, it's, it's, we're about five weeks into this. I'm only in chapter one, so, um, so we, may never, we may never finish the book of Romans um, I'm just kidding. The plan is to spend 30 weeks in Romans. And so the plan is by June to have traveled together on Sunday mornings and through Connects um, to have traveled together through the entire book of Romans. And uh, it's just been a blessing these first four or five weeks. If you've missed it, you can go back to our podcast. You can go to inspiredchurches.com and you can find our podcast there and you can kind of catch up with where we've been going um, and so I've just been so blessed myself as we've gone through this, and um, I hope that you have been too. I hope the Lord has been speaking to you and really challenging you on a personal level. Um, one of the things we said last week that I want to repeat today is that in order to appreciate the good news, um, sometimes we have to be confronted by some bad news. Remember we, we, last week we started off, someone ever came up to you and said, hey, I got some good news and I got some bad news. You know, which one do you want to hear? And most of us, or some of you like to hear the bad news, or like to hear the bad news last, which that's interesting. But for most of us, if you're like me, uh, we usually want to hear the bad news first so that we can save the good news to kind of help us feel a little bit better about the bad news. Um, And sometimes the good news does that. But sometimes in order to understand just how sweet the good news is, you actually have to be confronted by the bad news first. Um, And this is what the Apostle Paul is doing here in chapter 1. If we're going to understand the cross of Christ, we're going to have to understand the wrath of God and the sinfulness of man, right? And this is like culturally unacceptable, isn't it? This is like, if you're going to talk about anything in church, like don't talk about God being angry and don't talk about me being a sinner because that's about the most uh, offensive thing that you can do. Yet the apostle Paul is saying, you won't understand the goodness of God until you understand the depravity of, your, of mankind. And so as much as the culture would like to deny this as a church, we must embrace it because it's part of the beauty of who our Savior Jesus Christ is to us. And so again, if we're going to understand the cross of Christ, we're going to have to understand the wrath of God and the sinfulness of man. Um, so Paul begins kind of his gospel presentation. He begins the good news by first telling us the bad news. And so let me just, by way of recap, go over what we said last week. What is this bad news? What is this bad news? Well, bad news is this. We all need to be saved. Somebody ever told you that? Are you saved? Right? And I do this every week. I mean, you know it's coming like, girl, you saved because I'm saved, right? Like, I'm saved. Are you saved? It's like this, if you're a Christian, it's this fashionable thing to say. Like, are you saved? Right? Next time somebody says that, I'd be like, well, what do you say from? You probably stumped them a little bit, right? And so we all know as a Christian, and if you've been annoyed by a Christian before, um, you know, you all know that like, oh, I got to be saved. I got to be saved. But well, what do we need to be saved from? Because if I don't need to be saved from anything, then I'm not going to have the urgency to listen to your presentation of the good news. And so what is the bad news? Well, the bad news is not only that we all need to be saved 
and that nobody is exempt. All of humanity needs salvation. But the bad news is, what do I need to be saved from? And here's what it is. We don't need to be saved from ourselves. We don't need to be saved from the devil. We need to be saved from the wrath of God. And a lot of Christians don't get that part of the Bible, but it's the wrath of God that we need to be saved from. And I want you to know something about his wrath. Are you ready? Because that word is triggering, isn't it? Like whenever you think of wrath, you automatically think of some like really like angry, abusive man in the sky who just wants to punish you. And so when we hear the word wrath, especially in our culture, in our society, we think of the abuses of power. and We immediately are turned off by it, which is why our culture doesn't want to embrace the wrath of God. But here's what I need you to know about the wrath of God. And again, go back to the podcast last week and we went deeper in here, but by way of re- recap, his wrath is righteous. His wrath is just. His wrath is pure. His wrath is good. So the next question is, well, then, why is he angry? Like, and what makes his anger so justifiable, right? And so we need to be saved. And the question is, well, what do we need to be saved from? Well, you need to be saved from the wrath of God. Next question is, well, then, why is he so angry? And, and, and is, is his anger justifiable? And that's what we're going to jump into today, today's episode. We all need to be saved from God's wrath because of our sin. Yes, His wrath and his anger is justifiable. You see, God's wrath, here it is, and I want you to remember this, and if you're taking notes, this is a great place to start. God's wrath is his justifiable displeasure with sin. You hear that? His justifiable displeasure with sin. Remember even last week we talked about being vandalized? Have you ever had something that you cherished in your life vandalized? taken from you? Have you ever had it just kind of taken from you or someone defaced it, something that you consider to be valuable, something that you build with your own hands, something you purchase with your own hardworking money? Well, that's this idea about wrath, justifiable wrath against sin is that the earth and humanity has been vandalized and corrupted by sin. And just like you can't help but respond to something that has been vandalized that means a lot to you, Our Heavenly Father can't help but respond to something that has been vandalized that belongs to him. Are you with me? And so God's wrath is his justifiable displeasure with sin. And so if you have your Bibles, open up to Romans chapter 1. I'm going to read verse 18 through 32. It's going to be a long read, so I invite you to kind of follow along with me here on the screen, or if you have your own Bibles or your own personal screen in front of you. Um, would love for you to follow along as I read Romans chapter 1, verse 18 through 23. Again, we talked about the wrath of God, and today we're going to talk about the sin of man, the sin of man. All right, excited about that, huh? Let's go. <laughs> Here we go, starting with verse 18. It reads like this, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of this world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. 
For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Now, if you remember, last week we stopped there. We're going to continue. Therefore, verse 24, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who was blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty of their error. You can see how the Apostle Paul would confront our culture and it would be very difficult to understand. So hopefully we can break this down for you today. Let's continue. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with every ma all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are all full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. All the parents said amen. I'm going to stop right there, right? As a youth pastor, I'd, just, I'd always stop right there. Right? Like, we don't even know it going. It's like, God, Paul's like, I'm going to put that one in there, right? Disobedient to parents. It's like that one applies to kids, but then everyone, everything else applies to you, parents. So you're, you're not off the hook. Next, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they knew God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. It's pretty heavy. Again, not, not the message that a Sunday morning sermon is going to bring so much joy to someone's heart, but I think if we look deeper, we'll find that the word of God, um, it, it, the word of God is powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, amen? Um, what we just read, I want you to see this, was Paul, the apostle, kind of taking what I would say is a macro view. What I mean by a macro view is like a, a wide lens view of the effects of sin on all of humanity. So Paul is literally laying out a logical worldview regarding humanity and its sin. And so Paul takes a macro view. But here's something I wanna suggest today. Even though we're kind of looking at a macro view, it's within this macro view that you and I, we can find principles regarding the nature of sin in our own lives and how sin operates and evolves even in our own lives. So for today, we're gonna look at the stages of sin and we're gonna discover its root, right? Where it starts from, but also we know that sin doesn't just start from a place, it has roots, but then it has fruits. And so there's a starting place, the root of sin, but then there's a place in which the fruit of that sin grows. And we're gonna find out that a lot of times 
we focus on changing the fruit. But God says, no, you have to change the roots. And if you only look at the fruit, then really what you're doing, you're practicing is religion and legalism. And your works are dead. And so we have to go beyond the fruit, and we have to go to the root if we are truly going to be transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? So, so let's pray, and then let's jump into this. And as I pray for you, pray for me, because this is not going to be easy. Some of these, some of these uh, verses is like, well, can I skip over that, God? Absolutely not. You can't. Just being honest. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you because I know you are good. And so even when I come across a scripture that doesn't feel like it, I go beyond my feeling and I know that you are good. I know your word is true. And so I just pray that your word would not come back void, but it would accomplish everything that it's been set out to do. Holy Spirit, you're in this room. Uh, you're moving in this place. So uh, will you take my words and will you move on every heart and every mind? In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. You ready? Now, regarding sin, Paul tells us that there are three stages in which humanity makes an exchange. When it comes to sin, Paul tells us that there are three stages in which mankind, humanity, makes an exchange. And then Paul, if you notice while we were reading, will not only say the word exchange, but then he also says, I don't know if you caught the phrase, God gave them up. And so Paul says, man makes an exchange, then God gives them up. Man makes an exchange, God gives them up. And so in regards to sin, there are three exchanges that man makes, but in response to that exchange, we're told that God gives them up. God gives them up. So what are these? Let's look at these three exchanges. And, and again, this is a macro view. Paul is talking about all of mankind. But there's also a micro view in which you and I can learn from these macro concepts to apply to our own lives. So what are these three exchanges? Where do they begin and where do they end? Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to keep in mind, and, I, and again, God is, uh, Paul is giving us a commentary on how mankind as a whole has rejected God. So Paul kind of lays out what I would call a movement of sin that goes from the head to the heart to the hands. Paul lays out a movement of sin that goes from the head to the heart and to the hands. In other words, the evolution of sin looks like these three stages. Write this down. Wrong theology leads to bad spirituality. Wrong theology leads to bad spirituality. Wrong theology leads to bad spirituality, and bad spirituality produces wrong behavior, right? To the head, to the heart, and to the hands. And I, if I can make this easier, easier, wrong beliefs leads to wrong worship, and wrong worship leads to wrong behavior. What you believe is what you will love, and what you love is what you'll do. This is the stage of sin. So let's look at this first stage. And Paul actually has a surprise for you at the end that will kind of shake all of us in here a little bit, but I'll wait to get there. Let's look at stage one. Paul says that the first exchange that mankind makes, the first exchange that humanity makes, he calls this an exchange of truth or a truth exchange, a theological exchange, an exchange of knowledge. Now, if you remember last week, we talked about Paul 
And Paul says to us, right, the evidence is there, isn't it? It's clear, Paul says. It can, it's observable. You can see it. It's plain for all of mankind to see. You don't have to be a, a rocket scientist. You don't have to have the highest IQ in the world. All of humanity can look at the visible world, and the visible world testifies of an invisible creator. And even some of the most, and I was having a conversation with my wife, even some of the most, what we would consider to be astute um, atheists, um, they ultimately find a gap in their belief system because at some point they have to reconcile the idea of nothing, something coming from nothing. Like, and so one of the things I said last week is that one of the ways that you can get around having to explain something coming from nothing is just add a lot of years to it, right? So if I tell you, man, 500 billion years, well, yeah, 500 billion years, it's possible for something to come out of nothing, right? Maybe I told you 10 days, nah, not true, 50 years, but if I started to add billions of years behind it, all of a sudden our minds start to think, well, then maybe that's possible. But no matter how far you go back, you still have to come to a, a reasonable, a reconcilable conclusion regarding nothing turning into something. And so some of even the most astute scientists, when you push to shove, they may concede, well, maybe life on planet Earth has been seeded by aliens. And like there's some really, like Richard Dawkins has actually conceded this as well. Like, and so what they'll, they'll, they'll go as far as to say, you know what? There is intelligence in this world. It is obvious. There is evidence that there is thing, obviously. And so maybe I won't say it's God, but maybe it was a higher life. And I would say, well, you're getting closer. Just keep moving. Just keep, just keep getting closer. Keep rising. So Paul says the evidence is there. It's plain for everyone to see. Creation points to a creator. And so again, then Paul says, as a result, mankind has what? No excuses. Now, here's what I want you to listen to. Even though we've been given material evidence, we still find a way to mentally reject, right? Even though we've been given material evidence, we still find a way to mentally reject God. So the first exchange that is made is, Paul says what? A truth is exchanged for a lie. You see the exchange there? The mind, the intellect, the understanding, the knowledge, there's an exchange of truth for a lie. Now, I want to take a moment to describe to you the truth that is being exchanged, right? In fact, Paul says it's obvious. Creation declares creator. When you look at the complex structures and systems and organisms of life, it declares to you that there's something greater. When you see intelligence, you assume that there is a designer, and so Paul says that, that, he says, what we do is, he says, so what mankind does is they reject God, but he says, this is what we do. We are su truth suppressors. So Paul makes actually a very interesting argument to tell us that there's no such thing as an atheist. So now someone can call themselves an atheist, and you could call yourself that, but in reality, what you're doing is you're suppressing what has already been made known about who God is. So Paul says man becomes a truth suppressor. Now, I want you to see this. This is a theological worldview that Paul is painting for us. Because God is creator, I'm sorry, yeah, because God is creator, as creator, this is so important. Because God is creator, as creator, are you ready? He has the right to not only determine what exists, but also determine how it exists in relation to him. Do you guys get that? 
Because God is, and this is such a big theological worldview, I might like just repeat this 40 times. Because God is creator, as creator, he has the right to not only determine what exists, but how it should exist in relation to him, right? In fact, you'll hear the apostle say, the clay can't look at the potter and say, hey, you can't do that. No? Yeah, some of you are rebellious clay. Let's try this side, right? The clay, <laughs> some of you say, like, I didn't get it, Phil. All right, the clay can't yell to the potter and say, make me this way. It's the potter, it's the designer who's designing the clay to a vessel. And that vessel is to be used for his glory and his pleasure and his honor. And so creation can't tell creator whether I should exist or not because he's determining that. Nor can creation tell creator how I should exist. Are you with me? Not to mention it just wouldn't be smart. Right? If you want to know what you were made for, look to the person who made you. Okay, okay. This is, that's an important worldview. Now watch. This is huge. What God determines to be right and good for his creation should be called natural. You see that? So when we say natural, what we're saying is what God has determined to be good and right for his creation. Now this is crazy. It could be a little mind-blowing. With that worldview in mind, wouldn't you agree that sometimes what we think is supernatural is actually natural. Because that is how God has always intended it to be. So did you know the earth with sin contaminating us, how, this is not natural. If God created it and God intended it to be this way, but yet it is not what God had originally intended it to be because sin has contaminated, then we are not natural. You guys see that? On the other hand, and here's, here's the kicker to that, some things we define as natural or normal is actually the exact opposite. Some things that we define as natural or normal is actually the exact opposite because those things are not how it intended to be. This is what sin does at its most fundamental level. It, ready, ignores the truth. It suppresses the truth. This is what some of you do. You suppress it. And I should include me in there. This is what we do, because we're all contaminated. But we suppress it. We push it down. Are you with me? Now, let me give you a little discipleship wisdom here before we go on to the next exchange. Remember, I told you the first exchange is a theological exchange. Why do I say theology? Theology is what? The truth about God. It's knowing God rightly according to his word. So a little discipleship wisdom for you. Theology is not just for theologians. Right? Theology is that, well, that's theology. You know, that's a little too far. It's for theologians. No, theology is knowing God rightly through his word. A healthy disciple of Christ is growing in his knowledge of God through the word. Amen? Amen. This is one of the big reasons why connects is so fundamental to inspire church. Because we don't just preach it on Sunday, but then we all gather in homes and we dive deeper into the word so that we can know him rightly. And, and there are some ministers and ministries out there that diminish theology, don't they? They put it down. Or they even say, you don't need theology, right? All you need is love. But how can you love somebody you don't know? How could you love someone you don't know? 
And I'm going to tell you, a prayer life without a word life is a powerless life. And I don't know why we create these dumb dichotomies, right? Dumb dichotomies. What do I mean by that? It's like, it's either, well, I'm a, I'm a prayer guy. Oh, yeah, well, I'm a, I'm a word guy, right? Oh, yeah, well, I'm a worship guy, right? And there's all these dichotomies. It's like, wait a minute. If you're a disciple of Christ, you do all of those things. It's not like one or the other. But yet in churches, we kind of create this, like, we have these little, like, these tr- Christian wars. It's both. <laughs> pray and your word. Read your word and pray, amen? Okay, get off my high horse. And so some ministries diminish theology, but this is the first exchange that we make in the sin. Now, let's continue to follow Paul's logic. Remember, Paul's laying down a worldview of sin, and he's being logical about it. And so let's, some people think, you know, faith is illogical. Actually, no, there's a lot of logic in Scripture. So let's follow Paul's logic. Are you ready? Once humanity has rejected the true God, its only choice now becomes to replace that God with a lie. You see that? You see his logic? So an exchange is being made. I'm going to reject the true, and then in place of that true, I'm going to adopt a lie. Because the only way to keep the true subjected is if I grab onto a lie. This is what the Bible would call idolatry. This is what the Bible would call idolatry. And this leads us to stage two. Stage two. Are you guys with me? I know I'm kind of teachy today. The next thing humanity does in its fall towards sin is to exchange their worship. You see that? The first exchange was an intellectual exchange. It was an exchange of truth. Paul says, what God has shown and you can see is is clearly perceived. The attributes of God, namely his power, his holiness, his righteousness, these things can be seen by what is made. Excuse me. He says, but once I've made an intellectual exchange, once I've made a head exchange, then guess what? I'm going to make a heart exchange. So after bad theology comes what? Bad worship. Did you know your theology feels your worship? And did you know this? Everyone worships. Did you know that we were all created to worship? We can't help it, y'all. We can't help it. We are all made to worship. Everyone in this room, you might be an unbeliever. You don't even believe in Christ. You were created to worship. It was like a design written into your, into the, into your DNA. You worship. You are a worshiper. You are spiritual. We're spirit beings. Just as much as we are physical. And so you were made in the image of God. You were made to worship. Now here's the problem. We can't just reject God, but we must put another God in his place. You see that? So the first thing that we do is we suppress the truth, and we make an exchange. We throw the truth out, and then we place another truth in. And then at that truth, we bow down and we worship. This is what humanity does. Now, some of you are like, you know what? That's, some of you might be in here new to church, or maybe you've been in church for a while, and like, nah, that's a cop-out. That's just what you guys say. Can I prove to you that we were all made to worship? Okay. Talk back to me, y'all. Can I prove to you that we all made to worship? Just pretend. Yeah, just pretend. Just be like, even if you don't want to hear it, just be like, yeah. Here we go. <laughs> um, my wife and I, um, we're going on, we're going to be married six years. We got, we're five and a half right now. We're not fully there yet, but... Um, 
For those of you who don't know, my wife was a, um, she, uh, she was a major, a theater major, San Francisco State. And, uh, you know, she always had this dream to go off Broadway, you know, and um, God had other plans, amen? Um, but any, any theater fans in here? In my mind, I imagine it going just like that. Right? So, so I don't, well, the chances are you, you probably haven't been to one is what's really, because they're, they're really good. Although there's one or two that I'm like, we went to see Pippin. Oh my gosh. <laughs> the name alone was just really funny. Anyway. Um, so I, I, what I like to do for her birthday every year is take her to a show. So she knows that when her birthday comes around, which it's coming, by the way, October 12th. Um, yes. I'm just giving up all your, all your business today, babe. Um, I like, to, I like to buy her tickets to the theater. Now, the one thing I, I do, she knows she's going to theater. She just doesn't know what she's going to get. You know what I mean? And so one year, it's Cirque du Soleil. It's like, well, maybe not too much theater, but it's theatric, right? Then uh, next year, it's Pippin, you know? And then, and then <laughs> you know, it's fact, in fact, we went to see, what did we see, Macbeth? What did we go? We went to go see, yeah, Macbeth, and I, it was old English. <laughs> and I was just like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> And I look, and Jimmy was like, <laughs> I'm like, wait, you're the theater major. It was a good show. I think she was a little sick that day, but putting you on blast today, babe. I love you. But let me just say this. Every time we go, there's always like this same group of people. And I, what I mean by same is, not the same people, but like same group of people, right, who are so deeply invested um, like, they're always, like, laughing the loudest, right? Like, I'm like, <laughs> right? They're just going for it. They're bursting in tears. In fact, I'm not even looking at the theater anymore. I'm just totally enamored, like, tears welling up, right? And then they're, like, giving the longest ovations. They're just... You know, like just, they are invested. Remember my wife and I, we, I, I, I was like, kind of thing I was asking is like, well, wh- I wonder, you know, what, what it, why are they like this, right? Um, then I realized, you ready for this? And this may sound weird, but everyone worships. Everyone worships. Let me put it in a different way. I totally feel this way about football. Somebody like, yeah, I do football. Um, Totally different crowd, amen? Totally different event, but same deep emotional investment. In fact, now I'm a 49er fan, and I'm praying for the Raiders. 49er fans literally called themselves the faithful. Right, the faithful. Now, can I, can I, I want you to think about it because the same experience I had at the theater, I went to a football game and I realized, here's what these people do. Are you ready? They gather together every Sunday. They form small groups. They connect over a mill. It's called a tailgate. 
right? And for a season, for the rest of their lives, right, their joy, their pain, their disappointment all revolves around their team. And in the stadium, they're lifting their hands up high. They're paying their tithes. To those of you who roll your eyes, the people who pay money in church, where do you put your money? We're all hypocrites. You're right. The church is full of hypocrites. But guess what? You are one too. Welcome to the club. We just admit it in this room. What am I saying? For a season, they give their lives. They lift their hands. They pay their tithes. They sing their songs. And they give so much honor. Now, you might be thinking again, I'm going a little overboard. But you just might be the same person that looks down on people who go to church, who give their money, who lift their hands, who have joy and tears and ups and downs here on Sundays. And all I would simply suggest is this, is that all men worship. The difference isn't your worship. The difference is what? The object of your worship. The object. There is something right now that you are placing in your life that gives you supreme importance, supreme value. Could be your children. Could be your spouse. Could be your career. Could be your hobbies. There's something in our lives that we place our value, our joy, our ups and our downs in. So guess what? Worship is a part of our original design. Worship is natural. As a result, we'll either worship the one true God, and this is so big, this is so big. We will either worship the one true God in whose image we're made, or we'll worship gods that we've created in our own image. Isn't it crazy? We'll either worship God, the true God, in whose image I was made, or we'll worship a God in the image that we created him to be, in our own image. And that was a problem with the Greeks. You know why philosophy, Greek philosophers like Socrates, you know why philosophy was formed? Because Greek was go- Greeks were going crazy with all their gods. Like there was like too many gods to count, and they were having sex with each other, and they were fighting with each other. They looked just like men. They were jealous, envious. They were all over the place. And so the Greek philosophers broke away from religiosity, paganism. They broke away from paganism because, wait a minute, we just created gods in our own image. There's no difference. That's what man does. You either bow your knee and worship the one true God in whose image you were created, or you will create your own gods. And it's so crazy when you create them, they'll look just like you. And so here's, here's what I want you to see. Typically, we limit sin, don't we, to bad behavior, like breaking rules. Don't we do that? Like law breaking. But what grieved God's heart, even beyond bad behavior, is our tendency to give away to other things the honor and glory that rightfully belongs to him. That's what grieves God. Yeah, your behavior grieves God. Don't get me wrong. Paul gives you a list of behaviors, but Paul says this, before it ever gets to your hands, starts in your head, goes to your heart, and then it comes to your hands. And so we have to deal with the root of sin before we deal with the fruit of sin. But when we have a church or we have a pastor or we have people in the church that are too busy fighting the works and, and trying to combat sin, you need to stop doing this. You should stop having premarital sex. You should stop doing this. Yes, stop it. But it'll never work when you just say stop it. Nike doesn't just do it, don't do it, it doesn't work. 
According to the gospel, before we can attack the hands, the gospel says, no, I want to deal with the heart. I want to look at what you're worshiping, what, 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 you're, what, what, you're, what you're affectionate about, what you love, what you hold dearly. Because what you believe you will love and what you love you will do. And I hope that helps you minister to other people, right? We do such a bad job as Christians. We immediately want people to stop doing stuff. Immediately. Stop it. Stop, stop, stop. Like, well, there's some things you haven't stopped in a long time. The Lord's working on that, right? I mean, let the gospel humble you. Come on, sinners. We're all sinners, right? And I'm not giving you an excuse to go out and just, oh, I can sin. That's not what I'm saying. We can't take that. In fact, Paul in a couple weeks will tell you we can't do that. What I'm telling you right now is that we're ministering to people. The goal isn't to change their behaviors. The goal, is to, the goal is for them to see their affections of their hearts and for them to realize that every God that you create in your own image, every idol is not a good God. It's a taskmaster, and it'll destroy you. Only the one who created you knows how to love you. Only one who creates you knows how to guide you, right? Only... The potter can tell the pot who he is, what he was made to do. Are you with me? I hope that even changes the way you view people. I hope that it changes the way you'd see somebody and say, oh, they're too far gone based on what they do. Because according to this worldview, Paul say, no, 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 that person actually is closer than you think. Stop dealing with the stuff and start going to the heart. Are you with me? Now, I do want to deal with the stuff. Paul will deal with it, and we'll get there. But I want you to know that before the fruit changes, the root needs to have a radical change. You with me on that? Listen, we're going to get to this third exchange. Um, here's, this, here's the shock for you. Here, the example that Paul is about to use is going to be definitely culturally unacceptable. Paul in his example, his logical breakdown of giving you the head, the heart, and the hands, he's going to call it like this. Mankind, on a, micro, on a macro view, does, is three exchanges that are made. The first exchange is a truth exchange, an exchange of knowledge, which is a theological exchange. The second one is a heart exchange, an exchange of worship, which is a spiritual exchange. He says once you've made a theological exchange and you've made a spiritual exchange, then comes sexuality. There's an exchange made in sexuality. I want you to listen again to verse 26 and 27. Actually, before I say that, let me just read to you from what I put on my notes just to make sure it's succinct here. Sin moves, are you ready? From root to fruit. It starts in the head and the heart, and then it proceeds to the hands. And again, this final exchange may shock you. It's certainly a very contested portion of Scripture. But Paul says false theology moves towards idolatrous spirituality, and idolatrous spirituality moves towards distorted sexuality. Listen to verse 26 and 27. The Apostle Paul says this, for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. I have an honest question for you, and it's a question that I ask myself. 
is the Apostle Paul homophobic? That's the question. Or is he making, is he coming to a logical conclusion based on this biblical worldview? Now, if you want to know more about homosexuality, LGBTQI in the church, I want to encourage you to go back to our podcast about three weeks. It's our TRL series. We did a whole sermon on it. So if you want to know more about where we stand and how we look at biblically, I'd love for you to go back there. I don't have the time right now to go too deep into this. Um, but I want to invite you, even if you're in here today and maybe you're homosexual, homosexual, I want you to know that we love you. And I want you to know, um, and, I, and I want you to know that if you would go back and listen, you would find it to be, um, there was actually, we had a lot of homosexual couples come that day. And we had very good dialogue. And so I want you to know that it's nothing to be like super afraid of or feel, because I know all this tension comes up and I, I hate that. I don't, just, you know, I just want it to be free, you know? And so just know that. But I, 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 want, I want you to see what the Apostle Paul is saying here, a logical, biblical worldview. Are you with me? Number one, he says this. Again, follow the logic, okay? Follow the logic. Those who reject the creator logically reject the, na- the notion of a natural created order, right? So like, if you're gonna reject the creator, then it's logical that you're gonna reject his natural order. Does that make sense? Now remember, we define natural as what God has predetermined to be right and good for his creation. So we define natural as what God has said, I created you this way, now this is how I formed you. And these are the things that you should do that are good for you. And these are the things that you shouldn't do that are harmful for you. Are you with me? So if you receive the creator, that means you'll receive what the creator has for you. If you reject the creator, then you're going to reject what he has for you. Make sense? Just being logical. So those who reject the creator logically reject the notion of a created order. Number two, those who reject the creator logically get to redefine a new created order. You hear that? You hear that? Break that down again. If I reject a creator, I reject creator, then I'm also gonna reject whatever that creator says is good. So then Paul says we make an exchange. So then I create something new, right, and I put in its place a new way of doing things. Are you with me? Okay. So this time, this new order is made in our own image and not in the image of God. Paul would then call that unnatural. And this leads to number three. Thus, distorted sexuality becomes a sacrament for human beings who refuse to honor God as creator. Hear that? Distorted sexuality becomes a sacrament for human beings who refuse to honor God as creator. So for Paul, homosexuality becomes an outward sign of an inward reality. And it's just simply saying, and this is what sin is saying, but Paul uses specifically homosexuality, but sin is saying, God, I'm gonna do it my way, not yours. I know better. And really what sin is for all of us in this room now not just for someone living in homosexuality, but all of us are living in a sin lifestyle. And yes, I'm calling homosexuality sin because I believe that's what the word says. But I believe we're all dealing with sin in this room. Here's what sin does. Sin says, God, I reject your best for me and I do what I think is best for me. 
And so what I do is I feed and gratify my emotions and my flesh, and I begin to exchange the truth for a lie. Are you with me on that? And, and here, here is the logic. Before our sin becomes an action, it first becomes a belief. See that? Okay. We're getting ready to wrap up here. I'm going to take communion in a minute. Now, remember I told you in the beginning, three exchanges. There's a head exchange. There's a heart exchange. There's a hand exchange. And now God responds to those exchanges. So three times we're told an exchange is made. Verse 23, verse 25, and verse 26. And then three times in verse 24, 26, and 28, in response to that, we're told God gave them up. I feel like out of all of the words, I'd never want to hear those words put together. I never, ever want to hear God gave them up. But this is what Paul is saying. What does this mean? Is God evil? Let me explain this. Listen. When men give God up, God gives men up. When men give God up for idols, God gives men up to immorality. Immorality is the effect of God's anger, but it's not the cause. The cause is worship, wrong worship. When men worship something else, God gives them up. What he says is what you worship, what you, look it, what you become is what you behold. What do I mean by that? You will become what you worship. And Paul and Paul saying God's wrath and his righteous anger is not just towards what you're becoming, but more on what you're beholding. He says mankind is giving honor and thanks to things he's created in his own image and refusing to give honor and thanks to God. Therefore, you have committed your life and your lifestyle to an idol. And some of us Christians think Sunday morning service makes us not in idolatry. You're wrong. You're wrong. Because what you do tells on your heart. When men give God up, God gives men up. In theology, there's a phrase called common grace. And you guys are doing good. We're almost finished here. In theology, there's a phrase called common grace. This is a grace that God extends to all mankind, whether you're a believer or not. It's called common grace. Now, part of God's common grace in this world, did you know that God actually restrains sin? Did you know right now, God is actively restraining sin? Now, some of you are say, well, what are you talking about? Because this world looks terrible. If God took his hand off, his grace off of this world and allowed the hearts of men to fall all the way down to their logical place, what you see right now is nothing, even for you. God took his restraint, his grace off of our lives right now. All of us in this room would fall to the logical place that our sin wants to take us. It's almost like a purge type thing. Part of God's common grace is that he restrains sin. In other words, God is actively holding both individuals and societies back from progressing deeper into sin and destroying the world and destroying themselves. Without God restraining sin, this world would be much worse. So when you see Paul say, God gives them up, here's what Paul is saying. What God is doing is that he's allowing them to go down the natural progression of their darkened hearts. Let me illustrate. A car teetering on the top of a hill would only need a little push to come crushing down. 
Are you with me? Once it's been pushed, the momentum its weight is creating will do the rest of the work. You guys see that? So a car, it's kind of teetering. Or a car maybe that's even being held back. Once the person is removed, the person doesn't need to push it even. Think about it. A car, top of a hill, pointing down, being held back. Once that person removes their restraint, the car comes crashing down. This is an object lesson of what God's common grace is and what his restraint is against sin. What would start off as a slow glide would ultimately increase into a speed until it crashes. Now, this is a scary thought. After someone has been persistent in their sin and totally devoted to their idolatry, there will come a time where God says, fine, have your way. Hear that? Listen, if you didn't hear anything else I'm saying today, you came here for a reason this morning. Yeah, someone invited me. You came here for a reason. Look, listen. Once a man has become committed to his idolatry, committed to his sin, so much so, there comes a point in time in which Paul says that God says, have your way. Have your way. I won't restrain it any longer. Have your way. God gives them up. And there's a part of that that sounds almost like, man, God, why would you do that? But there's another part in which God is saying, you want to worship what you want to worship. You want to do what you want to do. Some of you in here struggle with the reality of hell, right? Why would a good God have hell? You want to know what hell is? Hell is the result of the decision that you made in life. If you lived your entire life hating God, hating his word, hating his holiness, then God at the end of your life is gonna give you what you wanted, a life without him. Why is hell so scary? A lot of us think of Dante's Inferno, right? Little, little, little like, you know, little demons like poking your eye out. You grow another eye and they poke it again, right? Like hell's all these torture chambers or whatever. Dante's Inferno is not biblical. Why is hell so scary? Hell is so scary because it's the presence of the Lord has been lifted, been removed. And that's scarier than Dante's Inferno because that's a place of deep darkness, darkness of the mind, darkness of the heart. And so when God lifts his grace, what all he's doing is saying, I'm going to give you what you want. I'm going to allow you to chase what you want to pursue. I'm going extra long, but I feel like the Lord needs to say something today. You might be in this room right now thinking to yourself, am I too far gone? Some of you might have felt, you know, and I feel like I've strayed. You might be thinking, am I too far gone, right? Like, but I want you to know if you're thinking that right now, the Holy Spirit's working. You might be in this room right now thinking, I don't want to go down that path. Am I too far gone? Can I not come back? I want you to know that if you're thinking that, there's still time. You might be asking, is there any hope for me to reverse this path that my sin and my idolatry is putting me on? I want you to know if you're thinking that, yes, it can be reversed. There is still time. There is still a way. Remember what we said earlier. Remember what we started off earlier. Because our sin becomes an action, it first becomes a belief. And I feel like we have to reverse engineer this. Please, if you really want to hear this, this is so important. If you want to change a behavior, it starts with changing an affection. Change your affections. If you want to change a behavior, start changing what you love. Change your affections. Change your affections. Listen, the key to starting something or stopping something is not just do it. 
Your hands are only doing what your head believes and what your heart beloves. Your hands are only doing what your head believes and your heart beloves, what you love, what you hold dear, what you're affectionate towards. Your hands are only doing what your head believes and what your heart beloves. We solve immorality problem by first changing our worship. Why? Because what we behold, we become. Only the gospel of Jesus Christ has the power to shift our affections. I say that? Only the gospel of Jesus Christ has the power to shift our affections away from false gods and idols and back onto Jesus Christ. What we believe is what we will love, and what we love is what we'll do. Only the gospel of Jesus Christ has the power to reverse this, to reverse the curse. <laughs> Thank you for your gospel, Jesus. Let's bow our heads and take communion, and we're going to finish. Team, come up quickly. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to do this quickly. Actually, before you bow your heads, if you could really quickly just want to explain what's going to go on here. We have four, four stages here, four, four positions where you have a communion bread and the drink, the cup. One, two on the side, one in the back. In a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity to step out of your seat and to go grab a piece of bread and grab a cup to take communion with us. Um, if you're a believer, a follower of Christ, if you've given your life to Christ, we want to invite you to take this with us. Maybe if you're not a believer, you don't, you're just kind of not sure where you stand, I want to invite you to kind of observe and watch. Uh, um, this is definitely something that Scripture takes serious. Only a believer should take. Um, but here's what I want to do is, uh, before we take communion, I feel like there may be some of you in here that says, you know what, I need the gospel. I'm ready to give my life to Jesus. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, there's anyone in this room who may feel very far from God today and, and, and you know you might not even have agreed with all there might be some of the points in this sermon you got a little upset with or frustrated with but deep down the Holy Spirit is tugging and pulling and you can't help but admit in your heart that you're a sinner so am I if there's anyone in this room you're afraid because you've been going down you've been sliding down that path and you feel like I have been doing what I want I don't feel close to him. In fact, going to church even is awkward for me because I feel like I've slid. I feel like I've gone too many too far back. I want you to know that if you're asking that question, the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. And he would say to you, no one's too far for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? No one's too far. So the question is, how, how do I come back? And it would simply be this. All you have to do is put Jesus back in his place as Lord. Whatever it is that you're showing affection to, love to, would you just repent of that idol? What is it? What's that idol? Repent of it. And you know what repentance is? And this is why it's hard. It's not just saying, God, I'm sorry. It means destroying it. Some of you might have to destroy it. Some of you might have to walk away from some things. Some of you might have to put some things down. But here's why you do it. Because Jesus is worthy. His blood is worthy, amen? His blood is worthy. It's my reasonable response. God, I believe. I believe there's something in my heart I'm not believing, so I'm running to other things to give me what I feel like you can't give me, right? All sin at its root is you unbelief. You believe that something else can do a better job than God. 
What is it? What is it? Something else gives me fulfillment. Something else gives me joy. Something else gives me love. Something else gives me hope. And it's not God. That's idolatry. I want to tell you there's nothing better than God than Jesus Christ. And he proved it to you because that something else did not carry your sin. That something else did not go to the cross. But Jesus did because he loves you. He woos you. He calls you. He's worthy. He's worthy. He's worthy. So right now we repent together and we believe the gospel. And before you make a commitment in your mind, like, oh, I'm gonna stop doing this. Remember, the goal isn't to stop doing, but to start loving. Isn't that weird? So don't go home and try to stop doing something. The first thing you do is I need to love Jesus, love Jesus, love him, look at him, behold him, wonder at his beauty, gaze at his glory, embrace his gospel and ask myself, I believe it, I believe it. So Lord, we just declare that all over this room. Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us for this week's Inspire Churches podcast. Don't forget to share or subscribe to join us every Sunday. You can keep up with Inspire Churches through Instagram at Inspire Churches or on Facebook at facebook.com slash inspirechurches. To support the ministry, you can click on the link in the description or visit us at inspirechurches.com for more information.